Welcome to the Gregory Digout Podcast. So I want to pick up where we left off last time we were together. And, um, you know, one of my favorite scriptures is also uh, in first John, chapter three, verse one. Let's look there. First John, chapter three, verse one. And he says, behold, what manner of love is this? How great is this love? How great of a love that the father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God and such we are and such we are. How one translation says, behold, what manner of love is this that we should be called the sons and daughters of God, the sons and daughters of God. Everything in God's kingdom flows through sonship. Everything that God does flows through sonship because everything he did happened through his son and everything that he does comes through faith in being sons. We are the sons and the daughters of God. And I want to remind you in, in you don't become a son or daughter of God by any other means except by being born again. You are God's creation. We're all we all. God is our God is everyone's creator. Everyone on this earth. God is the creator of everyone in in, 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 in that has ever lived. But he's not the father of everyone that's ever lived. He's only the father of those who've accepted Jesus as Savior and Lord, because to as many as received him, John 1, 12 says to as many as received him. And let's put that verse up. John 1, verse 12, to as many as received him to them, he gave the power to become children of God or the right to become sons and daughters of God to as many as received him. So only upon receiving Jesus, do you have the right to become his son or his daughter? And so when you receive him, you are immediately his son, his son or daughter. And you don't go back and forth into that. You don't come in and out of being a son or daughter of God. You are forever a son or daughter of God. Now, the moment you're born again. And with that comes inalienable rights it with that comes these significant rights as children of God. Um, and as children of God, we have the right to be healed. We have the right to to speak to the mountain, to be moved. We have the right to the inheritance that the blood of Jesus purchased for us. We have the right to the covenants that God has made and all the promises of God are yes and amen to the, his sons and daughters, those who are in Christ. And so the identity that we have as sons or daughters is so important because that shapes how you look at yourself. It shapes how you relate to God. Do you relate to God as a God out there that is hard to approach? Or if you got some sin in your life or if you're struggling with something, it's you're not sure if you should go to God. But no, there's nothing that should ever stop you from going to God anytime about anything, because number one, he will he does not remember your sins. The Bible says as far as east is from west, he's removed your transgressions from you. And he is your father and he's chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Luke 12, 32 says your heavenly father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom, your heavenly father. Jesus, when they said, Lord, teach us to pray, the first thing he said was our father. So the whole concept of sonship is so essential to us in our faith. It's so essential to us in the way we look at ourselves, the way we treat people, the way we carry ourselves. You see, you'll stop being a beggar when you know you're a son or daughter of God. You'll stop being afraid when you know you're a son or daughter of God. You'll stop being uh, in feeling inferior when you know you're a son or daughter of God. So um, so so flow with me. 
me. Um, and, and some of these scriptures they may not be able to put on the screen, depending on our program that uh, today on the on the uh, on the on the system that we're that we're operating with. But but I want so that's why it's so important to bring your Bible. I want you to look at uh, Romans 819, Romans chapter 819. I'll read this to you. Romans 819. I want to read this to you from the King James Bible. Romans chapter eight, verse 19. Listen to what he says here. He says, for the earnest expectation, the earnest expectation of the creature waits or the earnest expectation of creation is what he's talking about there and what he actually says and what it says is the earnest expectation of the creation is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. So in other words, in this earth are sons and gods, sons and daughters of God all over every nation, every city has sons and daughters, of sons and daughters of God in this congregation, in this in this Bible study tonight, we are all sons and daughters of God. But what the world is waiting for, what creation is earnestly waiting for is for the manifestation of sons and daughters of God. All of creation is waiting just like we are just like in the movie, just like in the play, the movie, it's going to come out again, The Lion King, all of the all of Pride Rock, all of the animals, everything was waiting for Simba to be presented. All of all of the creation at that time in that region was waiting for Simba, the son to be manifested. And and then what happened was the, the, the whole uh, the whole community of of lions and the community of animals were overrun when the son didn't know who he was, when he didn't understand. I know some might sound silly, but there's so many lessons to learn from that movie because it's so biblically based in that. We're all lions, right? The righteous are bold as lions. We're sons and daughters of God. But when but the whole issue was the whole problem was that that as long as Simba thought he was like Pumbaa and Timon, as long as he was a, a worm eating, uh, bug eating creature beneath who he really was beneath his sonship. Come on, everybody knows what I'm talking about here. You don't even know the Bible, but you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> You're like, well, what's in Romans eight? What? Nineteen manifestation of sons. of What? But when I talk about when I'm talking to you about the Lion King, you know exactly what I'm talking about, because that's the story. All of the animals were waiting for Simba to manifest as the son of Mufasa. As long as he just acted like the other animals, he did not. The, the, the whole the whole region was under rule by Scar, the the, the anti the anti Mufasa, the Antichrist. Come on, help me now. You guys got to pull this out of me. It's all in the Bible. <laughs> but the so we have to get a hold of the fact that until we take our place, the city is going to be overrun. The nation is going to be in, in shambles. Your family's going to be screwed up. Uh, your, your finances are going to be messed up. You're going to be squabbling for some worms. You're going to be turning over logs to just find a piece of, of, of something to eat. But when you manifest as a son or daughter of God, that's when everything begins to come into place and falls exactly in place the way God intended it to. That's why all of creation 
That's why all of creation is longing for one translation says all of creation is longing for the manifestation of the sons of God, not for the creation of sons and sons of God, but the manifestation. We're already here, but we're not manifesting our sonship. We're not walking in our authority. We're not walking in our understanding of our identity. You could know that you were you. You could be a son without knowing yours could be a daughter of God without knowing what that means. When I got born again, I didn't know what it all that it meant. I I knew one thing that I confessed Jesus as Savior and Lord. I I I accepted him as the as the only substitute for my sins. And I believed he rose from the dead. I was born again, but I didn't know all that was involved in being born again. I didn't know all that was attached to being born again. I I had to learn it as I studied the Bible. I realized, oh, man, old things are passed away, so I'm not under the control of my past. Whoa, that's a good promise. And then I had to learn, whoa, I got I got the ability to speak to mountains and have them move. And so I began to use faith and whoa, I I have the right to all of uh, all of my needs being met by his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Whoa. See, all those things are attached to being a son or daughter of God. They are the rights and the privileges of being a son or daughter of God. But so many Christians are living below their privileges, living just like the world, living just like the non sons and daughters of God, struggling and scrambling and striving and fighting just to try to get their needs met, to try to be healed, to try to to try to find joy, to try to find love. But all of that is ours as sons and daughters of God. And all we need to do is read it and believe it. And then we will begin to manifest as sons and daughters of God. All right, let's keep going here. So so we began to break this down in, from a perspective of discovering your uh, your 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 destiny. I think we called it. Uh, what did we call it last week? Discovering your 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 divine assignment. Right. So we're going to continue to build on that. Discovering your divine assignment. But you, you're never going to discover anything until you discover your identity, until you understand your identity. Jesus didn't fulfill his assignment until he understood or he understood it the whole time. But until he revealed to us the understanding of the father's stamp of approval on the son was you are my beloved son and you I'm well pleased. And immediately he went into the wilderness. Immediately he was able to handle temptation. Immediately he was able to handle the the waste places of the world. Immediately he was able to handle whatever the enemy threw at him because he knew who he was, because he knew he was a son of God. And then he came down from that moment in time or from those 40 days of of fasting and and believing God is and, and facing every temptation that we would ever face. He came down from that from that mountain or that wilderness. And the Bible says he be, immediately began to preach the gospel. He immediately began teaching, preaching and healing. In other words, he manifested his sonship when after the stamp of approval upon his sonship. So what we have to understand is that if there's anything Satan will try to steal from you, he doesn't care about stealing your car. He doesn't care about stealing your your Social Security number. He doesn't care. He's not after that stuff. People are after that. There are identity thieves that are after those things. But Satan really doesn't care about that. He doesn't care about stealing your health. He doesn't care about stealing your money. He doesn't. That's not what he's after. He's after one thing and one thing only. And that is robbing you of your true sense of identity and the knowledge of who you are in Christ. That's what he's after. 
That's the one and only thing he comes to steal, kill and destroy. He comes to steal the word about who you are, the word about your sonship, the word. Nothing else matters. You know what? Nothing else matters to the devil. He can you can you can hold You can believe all the things in the Bible. But until you believe this one thing, this is the one thing that Satan is after. He's not going to fight you on any other thing. He won't fight you on healing. He won't fight you on tongues. He won't fight you on anything. Now, religious people will fight you on those things. But Satan's not fighting you on those things. He's fighting you on your sonship. He doesn't want you to know you're a son or daughter of God and there's nothing you can add to it and there's nothing that can be taken away from it. That's what he's after. And that's why he came to Satan and said, you're not like that's why excuse me, that's why Satan came to Adam and Eve and said, you're not like God when they really were. And that's why Satan came to Jesus and said, if you're really the son of God, when he already was, prove it. You don't have to prove anything to the devil. You don't have to prove anything to the devil. What he's after is getting you to question whether you're the son of God. If Jesus would have turned the stones into bread, which he was fully capable of doing, then he that would have been we think, well, that would have been a miracle and Jesus should have just done. Jesus could have just done it. What would have been the harm? Here's what the harm would have been. He would have been doing it to prove that he was the son of God rather than realizing he doesn't have to do anything to prove he's the son of God course, which is what he did. He did did nothing. He he didn't have to prove any. Throw yourself down. The angels will catch you, uh, cast, you know, turn the stones into bread. No, I don't need to do that. Why? Because the minute I do that is the moment that the enemy then can seize upon him because that's where he opens up the door a crack to to. Well, maybe I have to prove that maybe I'm not. Yeah. You know what? That's a good point. I probably do need to do a real powerful miracle to to prove that I'm the son of God. No, you don't have to do anything to prove you're the son. of. You don't have to do anything to prove you're a son or daughter of God. You are. And you need to settle that once and for all, because then you can begin to manifest the power of sonship and, and the power of being a daughter of God. So remember, the word son means builder in the Bible when he uses the word son. And we use we say sons and daughters so that nobody feels left out. And there are plenty of places where the Bible uses sons or daughters, sons and daughters. But when he uses the word son throughout Scripture, it's not male only. So he's it's a it's a it's not it's not a it's a it's it's it it, it is really a, a term of sonship means builders, builders, builders. It means you're the builder of the family name. One translation is actually takes it back. The meaning of being a son is the opposite of being a child. It's not son versus daughter. It's not male versus female. It's not gender specific. The word son in scripture is referring to the mature version of a child of God that you're no longer childish, but you are a true version of a mature, a mature child, which which is what sonship is, that you can be entrusted with God's power. You can be entrusted with a hammer. You can be entrusted to build. You can be entrusted with the tools, with the equipment. It's one thing to it's one thing to have the right to the inheritance. It's another thing to actually be mature enough to handle the inheritance. So I can take you to a scripture in Galatians chapter four, verse one. It really illustrates it for us in Galatians chapter four, verse one. Paul says this. Now, I say to you, as long as the heir, the, 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 the heir is the one who 
has the right to the inheritance. As long as the heir is a child, as long as he's a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, even though he's owner of everything. This is what he's saying is he's saying we all are owners of all that God has. You know, when the prodigal son came home and the older son was so mad and so angry and said, oh, you know why? And the father came out to him. Why don't you come in and celebrate with us? The son of ours, the son of mine was dead. This brother of yours was dead. And now he's found. He was lost. Now he's found. He's dead. Now he's alive. And the, the older son said, Father, I, I've served you all these years. I've never disobeyed one of your commands. And yet all these years, you've never given me a fatted calf. You've never given me a party. You've never given me a celebration. You've never done this for me. And the father said, my child. He said, all that is mine is thine. All that is mine is yours. The father said, you see, what was the problem? The problem was not that this older son couldn't have a party. The problem was not that the older son didn't have the inheritance. The problem was not that the older son didn't have uh, the right to to the fatted calf. It's that the, the older son did not recognize and understand his sonship. Yeah. So when he says, son, you've always been with me and all that is mine is thine. All that is mine is yours. When you realize, whoa. So let me ask you something. Did the older son become an owner when the father said this? The father wasn't saying this to bestow ownership upon him. He was saying it to awaken him to his ownership. Everything in the Bible Every promise in the Bible is not something that God bestows upon you when you read it. It's already been bestowed upon you. It's already yours in Christ. It's already yours. But we but the whole the whole reason to read the Bible is not to find out what am I doing wrong and what do I need to fix and what am I doing right and what do I need to be? No, 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 no. It's to awaken you to what is yours in Christ so you can operate in your authority and your sphere and your realm of sonship that manifests in this world and that the world sees, whoa, these are not religious people. These are children of God. And they're walking in the inheritance and they're walking in their authority and they're walking in their power and they're walking in joy and they're walking in their God given approval. The father has given them the stamp of approval because as he is, so are we in this life as Jesus is. So are we in this world. So if the father approved of Jesus and he's approved of you. The one thing I think that one of the great things I should say that really marked Jesus life was he never, ever cared about what anybody thought of him. He said, believe on me, you have eternal life. Come to me and I'll you know, all that are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Uh, Come drink of me, come eat of me. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. Oh, when he said that, they said, bunch of disciples ran away. 
walked away from him and he looked at Peter and the rest of the disciples and said, you guys want to leave also? I don't care. I'll find somebody. You want to leave too? be my guest. It wasn't arrogance or that he didn't care about them. He just wasn't going to cater to every one of their thoughts, fears, worries, anxieties and insecurities. He was going to alert them to who he was and what he offered. And then it was going to be up to them whether they receive it. Come to me, all that are weary and heavy laden. Come and drink. He makes it available, but he doesn't force anybody to take it. He will never do that. The Holy Spirit and Jesus, the father, they are perfect gentlemen. They will never force. They won't even force heaven on you. They won't even force salvation on you. Now, you'd be a fool. And I pity the fool that would ever <laughs> reject in honor of Mr. T's birthday. It was yesterday. But uh, but um, you, you would be a fool to turn it down. But nobody goes to hell because God sends them there. People only go to hell because they send themselves there by rejecting the free gift of eternal life. That's why we have to make it so clear and so simple what eternal life is and what to, how to access it to spend to to spend eternity. We're all going to live forever. It's just a matter of with who. We're going to live. We're going to live with God forever or without him, which is what hell is. Hell is the manifestation. It's the full manifestation of the absence of God. And heaven is the full manifestation of the presence of God. What makes heaven so amazing and so glorious is the presence of God. You think about it, you know. If you ever had a housekeeper or somebody come clean your house every week or two, the presence of that housekeeper makes your house glorious. The absence makes it a hellhole. Hell is the full manifestation. There are pockets of people in in life that are that are absent of God's of God's. There are anybody that's not born again is is experiencing the absence of God rather than the presence of God. But God's omnipresent in the earth. And so they're accessing uh, like 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 Wi-Fi. When you get into a zone that's free Wi-Fi, it's there and you're a benefactor of it. But you, but if you want to truly enjoy it, the fullness of it, you you have to you have to access it. You have to connect to it. And God's omnipresent all the time, everywhere, all the time in this universe, except one place that he's not. And that's hell. And that's what makes hell the fullest manifestation of the absence of God. And so even people that aren't Christians are experiencing some of God's presence in this earth. They're experiencing some of God's presence through us because he lives in us. So when you walk into the room, God's presence is in the room and they feel that and they experience that. And the more you uh, awaken to your God ordained identity, your blood bought, grace purchased, love focused identity as a son or daughter of God, 
the more people will access God and say, whoa, that's that's a signal I want to connect to. You see, and what we have to what we have to realize is that's why the all of creation is is longing for us to manifest as sons and and stop behaving like children. We can have childlike faith, but we must dismiss childish attitudes and childish behavior. And the way we do that is by awakening to our sonship, awakening to the fact that, well, whoa, we're more than conquerors. Now, I've always taught you that being more than a conqueror means some wonderful things. One of the things that it means to be more than a conqueror, Romans eight thirty seven, for we are more than conquerors through Christ that loved us. Right. So it's important that we all understand that we're all in all these things. We are more than conquerors. If you put the King James or the new King James up uh, where it says we're more than conquerors. And uh, that means that Jesus did the conquering. What makes us more than conquerors is we don't have to do we don't have to conquer the devil. He's been conquered. We're more than conquerors because we get to enjoy the benefit of the conquest without having to be the ones who execute the conquest. That's what it means. That's one thing that it means to be more than a conqueror. The other thing that it means to be more than a conqueror is what conquerors would do is they would go in and they would conquer a city. And he's talking to Roman people who understood, uh, you know, the, the, the Babylonian Empire and then the Persian Empire and then the Greek Empire and then the Roman Empire. So these people understood these empires that came and ruled the world. And at this time, they, the Roman Empire was all over the populated world at that time that they knew of. And so when they when he says they're more you're more than a conqueror, what a conqueror would do was the, the general of a the general of an army, the leader of a, of a military effort would conquer a, 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 a city, a tribe, a, a, a region. He would conquer them, but then they're left to their own demise once they've been conquered, that he's taken out their leadership, he's taken out their military. But now one of two things is going to have to happen. He's going to have to be more than a conqueror and become a builder. Or they're going to somehow appoint somebody that is going to again rise up against the conqueror and he's going to have to conquer them again. So that's one of the things that makes us more than conquerors is not only are we supposed to not only are we supposed to understand our authority and that we're that we have we have the victory, but we have to build something with it. We have to become builders. And, you know, Jesus taught the principle. This doesn't this isn't this doesn't apply to us, but the principle applies to us. But when a demon leaves a person, it searches and roams for for somewhere to go and then it can't find anywhere else. So it comes back and brings seven demons worse than itself. Well, when you're born again, the devil can't come and possess you. He can he operates through your thinking and he operates through your through your mindsets and he operates through your view of God. He operates through those things, but he can't actually possess you when you're born again, because Jesus, the Holy Ghost, isn't sharing uh, rent with the devil. You know what I'm saying? He's not sharing the apartment with them like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's some room for, you No, there's no room for you, devil, inside of this born again. Believe you're the temple of God, not the temple of Satan. Amen. But but the point is, is if you don't once you're born again and realize that you're more than a conqueror, once you realize that you have the victory, you have to do something with it, build something with it. 
And this is what sons and daughters do. We build. See, I'm not talking to people that just want to be, you know, bless me, Christians that just want to. Okay, I just want I just I just want to be healed and I just want to be blessed and I just want to be happy. I believe I'm talking to people who truly want to make an impact in this world. And you truly want to make a difference in your family, a difference in your business, a difference in your career, a difference in uh, in the world around us, a difference in the people around you. I believe you really want that. And this is what you're called to be a builder. But you see, you got to understand that's that's what it is to be a son or daughter of God is to take what God gives us as children of God, everything we have the right to as children of God and use it to build something better than yourself and build into people by being connected to the church, be build into others by uh, by caring more about how you impact others and how you lead, because leadership is influence. It's not it's not being the boss of somebody. It's influencing people in a positive direction and empowering them, not powering over them, but empowering them. And this is what builders do. Children just want to tell everybody what to do. Man, when my kids were little, they would always tell us what to do. Uh, And my my 13 year old still always tells me what to do. I don't that doesn't mean I listen. Sometimes I do. But my point is, is kids, they love to tell you what to do, but they don't want to do it themselves. But when you become when you when you step into your sonship, you don't just you're not interested in telling people what to do. You're interested in building people up and you're interested in making an impact. And 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 some of us, we really how can I put this? Some of us really need to deal with selfishness in our lives. Mm. You see, a self-centered person is like a ball of twine all wrapped up in himself. And we have to be people that truly bend the knee to serve others, that we bend the knee to be a blessing to others, that that we have truly got a hold of the fact that if we freely received, let us freely give. That's what Jesus said to his disciples. He didn't say freely give and then you'll freely receive. There is a principle of giving and receiving. But the first principle is receiving freely. And then from that place of freely receiving, freely give. Now, in order to do that, we need to become mature believers and because maturity is not maturity doesn't come with age. Well, I'm skipping through a lot. I'll maybe come back to it. But for time's sake, I want to get to some things that will really help you. But um, maturity doesn't come with age. It comes with the acceptance of responsibility. So you can have 50 year olds, 60 year olds, 70 year olds who are not mature because they haven't accepted responsibility. And you can have 13 year olds and 12 year olds and 14 year olds and 15 year olds and 20 year olds who are more mature than older people because they've accepted responsibility for their lives and for several things. And I want to talk to you about some of those things here for a moment, if I can, Um, because. If you if you talk about reaching or fulfilling your divine assignment, it it will start with your understanding of sonship, knowing who you are. If I I can say it to you this way, sons and daughters of God are Christ like 
in their character. They know who they are. They see themselves like Jesus. They know what they're called to do. Jesus said in John 14, 12, the works that I do shall you do also and greater works will you do because I'm going to the father and you'll know how to build something beyond yourself, which these are the three things that you'll do when you understand your sonship. We know who we know who we are. We see ourselves like Jesus. We, we know what we're called to do. We'll do the works that Jesus did. The greater works will you do because I go to the father and we'll know how to build something beyond ourselves, which is building people, building into others, making disciples of all the nations. The Bible says making disciples. You see, the, the true mark of maturity is when you can impart something to somebody else and people don't they don't they don't um, they don't do what they don't. You can't impart. You can try to impart what you know, but what, what, what the impact you're really going to make is not by telling somebody what you know, but imparting who you are and truly imparting to others the character of Jesus that's in you into their lives. And that's what discipling other people is all about. That's what that Jesus said um, that by, by this is my father glorified that you go and bear fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And how do we bear fruit? It's not just bearing spiritual fruit in our lives, the fruit of the spirit, but it's bearing the fruit of imparting to others. And look, that doesn't mean we have to be perfect people. You've got to stop thinking that it requires you to be to cross all your T's and dot all your eyes to be able to help somebody else. It's just being kind and humble and sharing what God has shown you and sharing what God has given you and praying for the sick and sharing the gospel, passing out a touch card. I don't I, I, I'm not trying to promote the church here, but I'm trying to promote you realizing that as a son or daughter of God, it you have to step into knowing who you are and you got to step into doing the things that Jesus has given you the power to do through the Holy Spirit. And you got to step into helping other people and imparting to them what will help them grow. You see, you think about it. If we really focused on encouraging others and and not because we feel qualified because we got it all together, but we're qualified because we've been bought by the by the blood of Jesus and we're sons and daughters of God and we're inviting other people into the family. We're multiplying the family. Only in this case, the seed is not a physical seed that has to be planted between a man and a woman in order to multiply. It's the seed of God's word that we share with others that gets multiplied and begins to take effect in people's lives. Are you still with me? Did you go home tonight? So Christ like inside inside of you, your spirit is born again, but your soul is being transformed day by day into the image of God as you renew your mind to your true identity and to the and to, and to what and to the way that God looks at you and the way that God thinks. So let me help you to step in to this Christ like maturity by breaking it down in this way, that being Christ like means maturity, um, knowing who you are and acting as such, knowing who you are and then and therefore acting as such. And it it means accepting responsibility. And here are the areas that we need to accept responsibility for in our lives that will really it will blow you up in growth and in success and in every area of your life, you'll become a better 
uh, you'll become a better husband. If you're married, you become a better wife. If you're married, you become a better parent. If you're if you're a parent, you become a better business owner. If you're a business owner, you become a better employee or employer. You'll become a better person in every area of your life when you accept responsibility for these things. Number one, emotional maturity. We have to accept responsibility for for our emotional maturity that um, we have to learn what it means to master our emotions and realize that there's so many Christians that fly off the handle. They're ruled by their anger. They're ruled by their fears. They're ruled by their anxieties. And you know, you can be ruled by you can be ruled by loneliness and never nobody ever really know it. But the person that's ruled by anger everybody notices because anger is outward. Loneliness is inward. There are a lot of things that are inward um, emotions that are still dominating us, even though they might not manifest the way that external ones such as anger or um, uh, or or fear might manifest in, in more outward ways. Many of our emotions are inward and they turn us inward and they dwarf our growth because we're letting our emotions master us rather than us mastering our emotions. And you can get control of your emotions when you understand that you're in charge. No one no one else is in charge of your emotions. No one else is responsible for how you react to a situation. You're responsible for that. And the sooner you stop blaming anybody for, well, I feel this way because of what this person did. Well, I reacted this way because of what this person did. But see, you have total control over your reaction. You don't have total control of what somebody else says or what somebody else does, but you have total control over your emotions. God, the God even told Cain, who was under the curse and he was born in sin. God told Cain, you got to master your emotions or they will master you in Genesis chapter four. And he ended up allowing his emotions to master him and he kills his brother. Uh, The point is, is that even an unborn again person can control their emotions. How much more can a born again child of God control their emotions? And I see so many Christians that are just being completely led and controlled and completely under the bondage of their emotions. There's nothing wrong with having emotions. It's just that you can't let your emotions have you and you've got to possess your vessel and possess your feelings and recognize that feelings are there's no sin in feeling something unless you allow that feeling to persuade you to behave and fulfill itself. Your emotions don't care about your future. They don't care about the consequences. They don't care about what decisions, poor decisions you make. All they do, all they want is for you to be all they want is for themselves to be heard and expressed. Your emotions want to be heard and your emotions want to be expressed. And Christ like maturity is taking full responsibility for your emotions, being mature in uh, your emotions. I call it emotional maturity. And you how do you do where do you where do you get that from? You 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 flood your mind with God's word. The, The mind that is fixed on him, he will keep him in perfect peace. So if you want if you want the opposite of stress, the emotion of stress versus peace, you, it's all about what your mind is focused on. Are you focused on what, what God's word says? Are you focused on him or are you focused on what somebody did to you? Are you focused on the promise 
that God made you or are you focused on what somebody has done to you? So you, you have to you, you control your emotions by what you focus on. You control your emotions by what you think about. Your thoughts produce your feelings. Your thoughts produce your emotions. No, no person, no, no thing that anybody has ever done to you produces your emotions. What they do to you causes you to think a certain way. And then you're thinking that way is what creates emotion. So when somebody pushes you or gets mad at you or cuts you off, cuts, cuts you off on the highway, it's not what they did that caused you to feel the anger rise. It's that you think that that somehow is going to slow you down from getting where you need to go. But, you know, if they're cutting you off, that means they're going faster than you. So guess what that means? It didn't slow you down at all. What slow you down is now you're going to you know, pull out the other and now you're going to get in the other lane. You're going to pull up next to him. You're going to give him a three finger salute or whatever you give him. And all your emotions are the result of you think that they have slighted you and you think that they have done something that is going to prevent you from something that you have the right to like that spot on the highway. And it's a thought that produces the emotion. Well, I could just go on and on into this topic, but we don't have time to get, we don't have time to get into this. But your thoughts produce your emotions. So get control of your thinking and possess your thoughts. Take possession of thoughts. What that means is ev- there's there's no uh, there, there's there's no way to control what thoughts come to your head. But you have total control over what thoughts you dwell on, what thoughts you meditate on, what thoughts you focus on. You have total control of that and you have total control over what you're accessing online, what you're accessing on television, what you're accessing in conversations with people. And those words and those images create thoughts that produce emotions. And that's why we have to get control of our thoughts. And that will cause us to be able to gain control over our emotions. I'm really over time here, but let me give you a a list of things and we'll try to break these things down later at another time. But so emotional maturity, uh, uh, relational maturity, understanding how to relate to people, understanding uh, uh, situational awareness, having self-awareness, having awareness of who's in the room, having awareness of of what you might be making somebody feel or what you might be causing somebody to feel what having not that we're worried about that or that they're that we're responsible for somebody's feelings. But as much as it has to do with us, we're to be at peace with all men. So we have to have relational maturity and relational maturity means I don't blame you for how I feel. Relational maturity means I'm not I'm not going to try to manipulate you to make me feel a certain way. I don't I'm not you don't owe me anything. Relational maturity is no one owes anyone anything except to treat each other with the kindness that God has treated us with. That's what we owe. We owe to treat other people with the kindness with which God has treated us. And we don't have any. Nobody owes us a thing. This is relational maturity. Relational immaturity is when you think, well, that person owes me this because I did this for them. And well, and if you did that for them and you think they owe you something now, then you didn't do that for them. 
You didn't do that for them for the right reason. You're using that as a manipulation tactic, as a guilt trip and a bargaining chip rather than living a life of generosity and kindness simply because God has been kind to you. Relational maturity is relating to other people in the way that you perceive God relates to you in. So when you understand God has been compassionate towards you, you show compassion. When you realize God's forgiven you, you show forgiveness. When you realize God's been kind to you, you end up showing kindness. That's relational maturity. Relational immaturity is when you realize God has been kind to me, but you don't translate that into how you relate to others. That's immaturity is forget like the guy who, you know, was forgiven of all of his debt. Right. He was forgiven of his debt. And then he goes and demands that the person who owes him pay his debt and he won't he can't pay it instead of forgiving like he was forgiven. He ends up imprisoning that person. And uh, and we, we, we see the lesson there and I think we get it right. So we're talking about relational maturity. You have to own this. You have to take you have to take control of emotional maturity, uh, relational maturity, um, economic maturity. That's another area that we need to get a hold of, that we need to be adult people that know how to hold down a job and have a budget and be responsible. And again, not wait for our ship to come in, not wait for somebody to do something for us, not wait for somebody to give us a good deal, not wait for somebody to make something happen for us, but being people that are faithful with what we have. And God will continue to give you more and more and more as you're faithful with what you have. So we have we have uh, emotional maturity, we have relational maturity, we have economic maturity. We I, I don't have time to get into um, character maturity, biblical maturity, sexual maturity. And um, and really, those are the remaining ones that we'll have to get into another time. But um, well, we get a hold of this man. You're really going to begin to manifest as a son or daughter of God. And you're going to be so you're going to walk in such power. Look, let me tell you why there's not more signs, wonders, miracles and the power of God flowing. It's not because we don't have the right to it. It's not because Christians don't have authority for it. It's not because we don't we haven't been given these things by God. It's because we don't know how to manage the things that that we already have responsibility for our emotions, our finances, our relationships. We don't we don't operate in maturity in those areas. And so we're not going to be able to operate in maturity in the power of God. So the power of God is is residing in us, but it doesn't it doesn't manifest because of our own inability to harness our thoughts, harness our emotions, harness our relational maturity. I'm not saying that God won't move unless we're mature. I'm saying that's what will elevate the manifestation of all that God has put inside of you. And it will impact not only you, but your family, the people around you. Grab a hold of this own this stuff that I'm talking to you about and you'll see great growth in your life. Come on, let's stand together. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If you thought of someone specific in your life while listening to it, go ahead and share it with them. Also, if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode.